You guys know, I just want you to know that uh, you've really encouraged me this morning. You, you do. You sound good. I love to hear your voices. I love the, the way in which when we come together on the Lord's Day to worship the Lord together, there's just something really wonderful and interactive and the, the energy and the synergy that we share and the unity we share in the Lord is so good for me and for my soul. And so even this morning, there were times when I just needed to stop singing so I could hear you sing. And that was very, very good for me. So I thank God for the gift of worship. And I want you to know that I thank God for you and the gift of you and, and just the little gift that you gave me that this morning as, as, as I was able to just worship the Lord in, in new and different and maybe even a little bit better ways because I was able to just enter in to your worship of the Lord. So I appreciate that very much. I want to thank also, um, I don't see him up here. He might be teaching Sunday school today, but that, that's, that may be all the better. I just want to thank Andre for his ministry among us and specifically for the way in which he so capably uh, ministered to us last week from the scriptures very, very encouraged by what I see in him. And, you know, I had meant to tell you this, and I forgot to do so. I apologize for that. But the reason he preached last week is the week leading up to last Sunday was finals week for me. And so I was just smothered by assignments. And uh, so anyway, it, it was wonderful. We've, I, think, I think I finished strong. And, um, and now it's out of my hands, right? I mean, so, uh, but I just, I want you to know and, and I sense this even the first time Andre preached, and now this was his third time, that it's becoming increasingly clear to me that he's not just a fill-in, that God has gifted him, and those gifts are being honed. And as you know, some of the best way to hone those gifts is just by doing. You just do. You, you have to do, and the more you do, the, 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 the sharper those gifts become. And, and so I'm just very encouraged by his progress and by what I see to be a very promising future. Uh, so I appreciate your support in that way and your support of him in that way. By the way, he's going to be, he, he's going to be wonderfully tested here this summer in that he's going to do a uh, four-part sermon series uh, through the book of Philippians while I'm on vacation. And so um, I remember that was just a wonderful adjustment for me. I use the word wonderful in loose quotations. It's a wonderful adjustment, adjustment for me. There's just a difference between preaching occasionally and preaching every Sunday. And so uh, I'm excited for him to get to do that. <laughs> One last thing, I want to just quickly uh, introduce some good friends of mine, some old friends. This is Dan and Kim Hodge, and I didn't expect me to do this, but I wasn't expecting them to be here today. <laughs> and so they just surprised us, uh, Dan and Kim and Sally and I, and we've got some other friends, Dave and Darlene. They, uh, you know, we go back a long time, uh, I don't know, 20 years or so. And so it's just a wonderful gift that you've shown up this morning. And so I just encourage you, church, to uh, make them feel especially at home or to give them an especially hard time. Uh, that's entirely up to you, because uh, Lord knows Dan especially. Uh, he, 
He can do that. <laughs> do me a favor and take your Bible and, or your Bible app and meet me. Navigate your way to the Gospel of John. When we last left our study in John's Gospel, we considered two powerful promises for the Christian life. And each promise is uh, given by the Lord Jesus himself as recorded here in, in chapter 14. The first is found in verse 12. This is, again, this is kind of a review from a few weeks back. The first is found in verse 12, and it concerns the, the work of Christ, the work of Christ. And Jesus is calling for faith. And he's saying that anyone who believes in him, that is, anyone who trusts him, anyone who, tr who entrusts themselves and their lives to him, uh, will do his works. But he goes on to say that they'll do even greater works. Greater in terms of their essence and their extent. Namely, Jesus is speaking about those works of the gospel by which men and women of all ages, once lost to God and destined for hell, would instead be saved uh, by God through Christ as the followers of Christ participated in the ministry of the gospel. And so even here we see that Jesus uh, began a work, but it was the divine plan that his followers would carry it on. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's His gospel. Our role is to engage in its ministry. And this powerful promise in verse 12 is immediately followed by another in verses 13 and 14, uh, where Jesus connects the, work, the works of Christ to the will of Christ specifically to the prayers of God's people as they pray in Christ's name. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so these words, whatever and anything, are words of assurance, where, whereby Jesus is assuring those disciples, and now us, assuring us that He is willing, and He is without limitation. He is willing, listen to this, He is willing to lean in close and listen attentively to you when you pray. He's willing and he's without limitation so that you can pray knowing that he is always able and that with God all things are possible. And so we learned last time that the means to effective prayer is to pray in the name of Christ, that is according to his will, while the motive of effective prayer the motive behind such prayer is the glory of God. Jesus is comforting his disciples by calling them to faith. And he moves from these powerful promises to yet another, this time 
one that pertains to the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we will consider this morning. Already he has alluded to this gift. It's been a while, but you will remember when we were in chapter 7, he declared that whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was talking about the Spirit of God. He's talking about how faith in Christ brings forth life in the Spirit. And not just meager existence, but life that he pictures in that passage as rushing rivers of refreshing water that flow freely out of the heart of the Christian believer and quenches dry and thirsty souls. And now here in chapter 14, and he'll do so again in chapters 15 and 16, Jesus comes back to elaborate on this great promise of the Holy Spirit, and that is our focus today. I want you to know that I initially planned to take verses 15 through 26 in two sermons, because I think we find two dominant themes here. There's the obvious theme of love and its relation to obedience. And then there's the theme of the Holy Spirit and His ministry to believers. But the more I read the passage, reread the passage, considered its meaning, the more uh, it seems to me that these two themes are meant to go together. And that if we were to separate them or, or parse them or take them individually, we'd somehow lose the full meaning of what Jesus is saying here. In other words, what I, what I think Jesus is saying here is something along these lines, that love for Christ assumes obedience to Christ and necessarily relies on the Spirit of Christ. Okay, I'll say that again. Love for Christ assumes obedience to Christ and necessarily relies on the Spirit of Christ. With that in mind, let's read it together. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time that we have in your word and what a joy it is even as I look out upon these Dear people, and I see, I see them open their Bibles, and I see them attentive, and I see some of them with pen in hand, and eyes fixed, and ears at the ready. We're here because we want to hear your voice. We want to receive what you have for us today through your holy word. So come, please, minister to us in these moments. Help us to hear. Help us to listen well. Help us to be free this morning from all of our self-reliant tendencies that we may instead rely upon Jesus and the divine help who is the Holy Spirit. Come and have your way in each heart and life, including my own. Amen. So again, I think we see the dominant themes here are love for Christ and its relation to obedience and Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit and His relation to the Christian believer. We might think of it in terms of Christ's assertion and our assurance. Christ's assertion and our assurance. So I want us to first consider Christ's clear assertion regarding love and obedience. And then our equally clear assurance that Jesus provides in the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus asserts in verse 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. That is very straightforward. That is very to the point. There is no ambiguity. If you love me, You will keep my commandments. Four times in this section, he frames our love within the context of our obedience. We read it here in verse 15, again in verse 21, again in verse 23, and once again in verse 24. The clear point being made, please hear this, is that love for Jesus assumes obedience to Jesus. We cannot say we love Christ unless we obey Christ. Love and obedience go hand in hand. Our obedience to Jesus, in fact, demonstrates our love for Jesus. And this word love here speaks of devotion or sincere appreciation 
or deep affection and high regard for Christ. It's the same word, agapeo, uh, used to describe God and His love. For example, in 1 John 4, 8, well, we read that God is love. Meaning that this love, the love spoken of here, is divine love and divinely directed. And I want you to notice that it's written as a verb, stressing that our love for Jesus should be active and ongoing, always demonstrating itself in how we obey Him. The word commandment refers to an, an authoritative prescription. I found this very interesting. Like a doctor who cares for us, and our well-being, God prescribes His commandments with our health in mind. The law of the Lord is good for us. It protects us. It shapes us. It provides for us in this life and in the life to come. But we mustn't be like the patient. You know these people. You may be one of these people who receives a prescription from their doctor yet never fills it or acts upon it. You see, it's not enough to, to merely know Christ's commands. We must keep them if we're to grow healthier in the Lord. Have you ever noticed, or have you noticed more recently, that more and more people in, the, in church circles, I think this is good, more and more people in church circles are beginning to use terms like Christ follower or follower of Christ instead of the word Christian. You notice that? I think the clarification is very helpful. Because in our day, it seems that it's possible and common to, to claim Christianity and even to be a Christian culturally, yet have little to no love for Christ. It seems the word Christian has lost some of its depth and meaning culturally. And at the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Do I, do you love Jesus? Do you? Do you love Jesus? Or do you simply identify with some Christian principles some of the time? There's a vast difference. I want us to see what Jesus is getting at here. He is appealing to love as the motivating factor for obedience. That's so important and should be so encouraging to you. It's not obedience for the sake of mere obedience, but obedience for the sake of love. Jesus 
Listen, Jesus is after your heart. Not heartless conformity to some random rules or regulations. He's saying that there is an inseparable relationship between who you love and how you live. So if you love Christ, live for Christ. Because that's what love does. Love, as the Bible defines it, and even as it's demonstrated in any healthy relationship, right? Love always desires to esteem and honor its object. Always. A clear assertion is that love for Jesus assumes obedience to Jesus, but notice how this assertion is immediately followed by words of great assurance that speak to the gift of the Holy Spirit, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our Helper, our Advocate, our Comforter, our Counselor, our, you may be familiar with this word, our Paraclete. Literally, parakletos. Para meaning alongside, or, or kaleo meaning called. Thus, the, the Holy Spirit is called to come alongside those who know and follow Jesus to help us in practical ways, in personal ways, and in permanent ways. This means that just as our love for Jesus assumes obedience to Jesus, it likewise relies upon the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit's ministry is practical. And by practical, I, I just mean pertaining to the practice of loving Jesus and His commands. Think through this with me. Isn't it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you love Jesus at all? Was it not the Spirit of God who first awakened you to the reality of Jesus Christ? He awakened you to the reality of who you were without Christ, lost in your sins, estranged from God, justly condemned as a willful transgressor of God's law, deserving, fully deserving of God's just punishment, but then the Spirit awakened you to another reality, that Jesus Christ seeks and saves the lost, that He bore your sins in your place and reconciled to reconcile you back to God. The Spirit revealed to you that you can be forgiven in Christ, that you can be made righteous in Christ, that you can stand in Christ before God without even a hint of condemnation, that in Christ there is eternal and abundant life through the abundance of God's love. In those initial moments, in those initial moments, think about it, remember it. 
In those initial moments, your eyes were opened to the beauty of Jesus Christ as never before, and you savored what you saw, did you not? You began to love what you once didn't. And with spirit birth love for Jesus, you were spiritually reborn and made new in Christ. Though once dead in your sins, God, by His Holy Spirit, made you alive together with Christ. You see, it was by the Spirit. It was by the Spirit. It was by the Spirit that you confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And it is by the Spirit of God that you continue to walk in the Lordship of Christ even today. Your love for Jesus owes directly to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so does your obedience. Why do you think Jesus speaks of love and obedience in verse 15 then moves immediately to the Holy Spirit in verses 16. I think it's because your keeping of Christ's commands owes to the Holy Spirit's keeping of you. Jesus had been keeping these disciples He'd been providing for them with practical help along the way, teaching them about God and modeling for them faith in God. Now, however, he tells them he's leaving them temporarily, but they need not worry because another helper will come to not only be with them as he was, but also in them, even as the person of the Holy Spirit dwells in Christ's disciples today. Spirit's ministry is practical and personal. Jesus promises another helper. The word there means, there, there are two Greek words for another. One of them means another of a different kind, and then the word used here is another of the same kind, the same kind and quality, a, a helper just like Jesus, yet distinct from Jesus. Just as Jesus is, is one uh, with God, just as Jesus is from God and exists eternally with God and therefore is God, so is this helper. Jesus is one with the Father. The Holy Spirit is one with Jesus. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is one with the Father, what we call the triune Godhead, or simply the Trinity. This entire passage, as you read through it, it speaks of one God in three distinct persons. Father. We read about the Father here. We read about the Son. We read about the Spirit here. The Spirit is a person. Notice not an impersonal force. So you can note the personal pronouns like he and him in, what is it, in verse 17 and then again in verse 26. And that the Spirit lives in you, that the Spirit of God lives in you means that you have a very personal relationship with God. And because the Spirit is a gift from the Father, 
given to all who are in Christ. Are, we, are you with me? I know this is a little, uh, there's a lot here. Okay, follow along here. Jesus talks about you being in him and him being in you. That's verse 20. That mutual inness owes to the Spirit's ministry who comes to help you know Christ more. That you would become more deeply rooted in Him. Jesus loves you and He continually manifests Himself to you. That's verse 21. This too is a work of the Spirit who dwells in you. And then in verse 23, Jesus talks about Him and His Father coming to make their home with you. I love this picture. Because again, it pictures the Spirit's work. The Father and the Son are at home with you because the Spirit is essentially renovating your heart, making your heart God's home. I know you guys watch those home shows. I know you know Chip and Joanna. or the Property Brothers, or whatever your show of choice may be. I know that, that you, more than likely, you too have done improvements on your own home. And I think the thing that is so fun and exciting about home shows, home renovation shows, or improvements, home improvements in general, is that we get to see this spectacular transformation right before our very eyes. We get to see this process whereby a house, a simple house becomes a home. In a sense, that's what the Spirit is doing in you. Renovating your heart. Making your heart God's home. It's all very, very, very personal. And so the Spirit's ministry is practical, and it's personal, and it's permanent. By God's grace, your relationship with Him is everlasting, and the Spirit of God Himself is your guarantee. And so in Ephesians, for example, chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes that when you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance your eternal inheritance until you acquire possession of it. And Jesus is making the same point here in John 14 when he says in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit is to be with you forever. Now you need to know that that wasn't always the case. 
before that great day of Pentecost when the Spirit came in power to indwell each believer permanently, His ministry was much more specific. He would come upon specific people at specific times for a specific purpose, and He would depart from people as well. And so we have as an example... In 1 Samuel chapter 11, we have the Spirit of the Lord coming upon King Saul. And yet a few chapters later, he's departing from Saul. And then he comes upon King David. Or even before David was king, he comes upon David and and is with David. And David ascends to the throne of Israel and is with David for all the years of David's kingship. But you remember what David prayed at the near the end of his kingship when when uh, after his affair with Bathsheba, when he prayed in Psalm 51, he writes, create in me a clean heart, God. Renew in me, God, a a right spirit. And then he says, cast me not away from your presence and, and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, why would he pray that way? Why plead with God to not remove the Holy Spirit? It's because the people at that time knew that the the presence of the Spirit was not a given. The ministry of the Spirit in your life was not a given. They knew that the Spirit of God was a gift, not to be taken for granted. In his sin, David knew he had grieved God, and so he pleads with God to not remove his Holy Spirit from him. And we fast forward now centuries to John 14, where Jesus is now telling these men that the Spirit will be given to them, not for just a moment in time or for just a season of life, but given forever. Now, we who live on this side of Pentecost, we don't have a clue of the immensity of what he's saying here. The idea that the Spirit of God would be given would be with them always and forever in whatever circumstance they found themselves, themselves, that was truly groundbreaking. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come and, and, and when He did, He came to stay. He came in power to indwell and empower all who know and love Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ today, the Spirit of the living God is taking up residence in your life, and He's with you forever. His ministry is practical. His ministry is personal. His ministry is permanent. And so I just want to close with with some quick application that that I think is somewhat obvious in the general sense, but maybe there are a couple of specifics we can touch on. I think the take-home application here, in a general sense, church, 
believer in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk by the Spirit. And so the New Testament, time and time again, I don't understand all that's involved with being filled with the Spirit. But I know there is a difference between just having the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. And the New Testament exhorts us to to essentially empty ourselves of the things of the world and be filled with the Spirit of the living God. And then to walk in step with the Spirit. I think that's the application here in a general sense. Be filled with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. But I think there might be, I think the passage suggests two particular ways by which to do that. And we'll close with this. The first is stand for truth with the spirit of truth. Stand for truth. You, so we're, at, we're trying to answer the question, how do I walk by the Spirit? One way given in this text is stand for truth with the spirit of truth. And so in verse 17, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And then later he says in chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so one of the spirit's main objectives in your life, hear this, one of the spirit's main objectives in your life is to reveal truth and guide you in it. So it stands to reason then that one obvious way to walk by the spirit is to value truth. And help others do the same. Listen, whether you recognize it or not, people are desperate for truth. They are. I guarantee, I guarantee there are people in your life right now who are desperate for answers. They have questions. They have questions. They have questions about gender identity. Don't make fun of them. They have questions about gay marriage. They have questions about other hot-button issues. They have questions about their relationships. People are broken and they're hurting. Their relationships are broken and hurting. They have questions. They have questions about their family and their friends. They have questions about their, their place in this world. They have questions that, that speak to their longing, this inner longing for hope and a promising future. Some are so desperate for truth. Listen, they're so desperate for truth that they oppose it at every turn. Which only goes to show how desperately they need it. Al Mohler, he's president of Southern Cemetery. Su- <laughs> Cemetery. <laughs> oh. 
president of Southern Seminary. God has given him a sizable platform from which to speak truth into the culture at large. And he writes in the latest issue of Southern Seminary Magazine, This is not a time for Christians to live in fear or lose confidence in the gospel. Can I just say that again? This is not a time for Christians to live in fear or lose confidence in the gospel. God, by his gracious provision, has placed us in this time to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is not a time for Christians to remain silent with the message of the gospel. We are called to be people of truth, even when the truth is not popular or even when the truth is denied by the culture around us. What we need today are proponents for truth, spokespeople for truth, people who value truth and are willing to share it, not loud people necessarily, not people who bang the drum of their own opinions, certainly not arrogant or uncaring people, Rather, people whose values and presuppositions are continually being shaped by the Spirit of God and the truth of His Word. People who know what God teaches. People who learn their Bibles and therefore have something to offer, something of value to offer. People who care enough for the state of another's well-being, for the state of their soul, to speak the truth in love. And so if you want to walk by the Spirit today, tomorrow, this week, if you want to walk by the Spirit today, stand for truth with the Spirit of truth. And secondly... Walking by the Spirit means listening for the Spirit's voice. And so look with me at verse 26. Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see what's happening here? Jesus is assuring you, assuring them and now assuring us that the Spirit of God intends to teach you and help you remember the vast and mighty truths concerning the Son of God, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I find this so encouraging, and I hope you do too, so freeing, because it means I don't have to know and remember all the answers all the time. I simply need to listen for the Spirit's voice as He's teaching me what I need to know at any given point in time. Lord, what are you saying here? Lord, help me to understand. 
I need to avail myself to the Spirit and pay attention to what He wants to say. When you sit to read your Bible, how many times have we said, I've said, you've said, I didn't get anything out of it. Listen, it's not up to you to get something out of it. It's not up to you to uncover some hidden meaning. God's not playing hide-and-seek with you in His Word. Simply let the Spirit speak and expect that He will. What are you trying to say to me here? I mean, after all, he inspired this book. This, these are His words. Or when you share conversation with someone and it turns towards spiritual things, is that not the Spirit of God directing? So you don't have to fear not knowing what to say or whether what you say will be well received. You simply rely upon God's Spirit to lead you in those moments. You've been there. I know you've been there. I mean, aren't we amazed by those occasions when in conversation, which we didn't plan for, we didn't plan on this conversation, but we're in this unplanned, unexpected conversation and verses or passages that we haven't thought about in months or years suddenly come to mind. That's the Spirit's ministry in you in that moment. Make a habit, make a habit of listening for God. I've got to share this. I'm so tempted to move beyond this but because I'm speaking to me and I feel somewhat hypocritical, but I... Anyway, we, I need to hear this. We need to hear this. You know what that means sometimes? It means we've got to put the screen away. Our digital devices are stunting our ability to hear from God or at least we're, we're at that risk you know, put the smartphone away put the tablet away put the computer away put the television away none of these are inherently wrong in fact <laughs> I own all four of these devices but let's not let them own us because every single Day, without exception, we are bombarded by so many voices speaking so many messages, mixed messages, contradicting messages. And it is impossible, because we're finite creatures, it is impossible to hear them all to discern through them all, to discern well, at least, and then to respond to them all. It is impossible. And so walking by the Spirit may mean, it does mean, 
Walking by the Spirit means making room in your day, making room in your life, whereby you listen specifically for His voice above all the others. Jesus asserts in this passage that we're to love and obey Him. And then he assures us of divine help as we do so through the divine helper himself. So East Parkway, love Christ. Live for Christ. And always, always rely upon the Spirit of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the time. We appreciate very much your grace and kindness in speaking to us this morning. Please impress your truth upon our hearts and make us to be doers of your word, not hearers only, that we may be a changed people and that we may be people of change. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.